2: We all have tasks we'd like to avoid, like mailing and shipping. It takes time lugging all those letters and packages to the post office. That's why you should try Stamps.com. For 25 years, Stamps.com has made mailing and shipping easy. You get all the services of the post office right on your computer, anytime. No traffic, no waiting, no hassle. Plus, you save money with discounts up to 84% on USPS and UPS. With Stamps.com, all you need is a computer and printer. Print stamps, print shipping labels, and if you sell products online, Stamps.com connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart, so you can spend less time on shipping and more time on your business. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com and enter code PROGRAM.
1: Hey, guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Friday. TGIF, am I right? This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and Twitter and true social at Monica Crowley Also by email at Monica Crowley podcast, all one word, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Okay, next week, we're going to talk superpower in peril and all of the threats we face and what to do about it. We're also going to keep a very close eye on this ridiculous Manhattan grand jury on Trump. Um, And we're also going to watch the financial sector with the banks because stuff is starting to bubble up and our enemies forming a new axis of evil while our senile president contemplates his navel. All that and more next week. And by the way, today, I know I wanted to do the latest on the Trump case, as well as Carrie Lake. Our friend Carrie Lake scoring a big, big win for election integrity at the Arizona Supreme Court. But I'm going to hold all of that until Monday and next week, because today we have something very special. As promised, we've got a really important conversation for you. And it's one that the propaganda press will not have, and one that they are studiously trying to prevent you from hearing. But not on my watch, not on this show, because the truth must always be told. Tara Reid is an author, poet, activist, and the host of the Politics of Survival podcast. Please go check that out. Tara came forward about her experience working for Joe Biden and publicly spoke about how he sexually assaulted her when she was a young aide working for him in the U.S. Senate in 1993. The corporate media backlash, of course, went into full swing in 2019 and 2020 to try to discredit and attack her for coming forward. Whatever happened to Believe All Women? Right. As a result, Tara has uh, been increasingly outspoken because of their attempts to silence her. And she wrote a new book about her experiences going through all of this, including the Democrat attack machine. The book is called Left Out When the Truth Doesn't Fit In. And I'm so delighted that she's here with us today. Tara, welcome.
3: Thank you for having me, Monica. I'm really happy to be here.
1: Well, I am so uh, glad that you are here with us today, and I'm so thankful um, to have you here to share your story. And may I just say before we get started that I I just wanna thank you for your courage because I know it's never easy to speak out about sexual assault ever, but especially when the alleged perpetrator is a powerful person, but it's also next level when that person is a presidential candidate who goes on to be president of the United States, so thank you for your bravery and your tenaciousness in coming forward.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it was very difficult, and um, you know, very mixed feelings because you know I went to work for Joe Biden because I admired him and I was excited to work for a senator and the Senate at the time. So yeah, it was it was really tough.
1: Well, there's so much to get to uh, with you, and I really want to spend some time unpacking all of this because it's really, it's such an important story, not just for you, but for the country, obviously, and so much of this has come now full circle. So let's start with your story because it's shocking and it's horrifying, and of course the press has moved heaven and earth to bury it, but people should know what happened to you. Can you take us back to 1993, early 1990s? You're working, as I said, as a young aide to then-Senator Biden. What was that like? Were you a starry-eyed liberal idealist excited to be working on Capitol Hill?
3: Absolutely. All of that and then some. I mean, in that time... People might not remember, and some people listening might not have been around yet Um, because it was 1993, but Bill Clinton had just been elected and there was the Bridge of Hope. I don't know if you remember that. There was a huge celebration. So I was hired that year by Joe Biden's office. Previously, I had worked as an intern for Leon Panetta. Um, And before that, I worked on a congressional race as a field operations manager. So I was, I was very, I was involved with the democratic party and very immersed in liberal idealism. And um, you know, uh, I left after, you know, just so your listeners know, I am no longer a Democrat. I am an independent. And I don't know if the Democrats noticed that I left the party, but I did. Um, (laughs)
1: Congratulations.
3: And by the way, Dara, can I just make a point
1: about this? And I I make this point to any Democrat who has left the party or um, is thinking about it or actually exercising some real intellectual muscle and intellectual honesty. It takes so much. And I want everybody to understand this because everything is political in this country your political values are your values. It is so much a part of who you are and who your identity is. And especially when you're deeply entrenched in those values and the party and the system that it represents for so long that in order for someone to think twice about where they are in that system and ideology and party, and then to break with it, it takes a lot. It takes huge courage and a tremendous personal strength. So I just want to, you know, give you kudos for that and make sure everybody appreciates your journey on that score.
3: Oh well, thank you. Yeah, it, it was, I and mean, I really, it's it's like once you open your eyes and see, you can't unsee. Um, the corruption in the Democratic Party unfortunately. But going back to that time in 1993, I was very excited. Um, I, I had ambitions actually to become a member of Congress or a senator. Um, so I was hoping this was the first step towards being mentored or you know working up to be a chief of staff and then maybe running for office myself. I mean I had visions of, of that that many people do going to DC but I was very determined to you know have that kind of success. And I had a a huge intellectual curiosity, and I still do, um, and love geopolitics, particularly foreign policy, and those kinds of things interested me. So at the time, Joe Biden was the um, chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee and also the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Um, And if your audience member doesn't know, now I have a a law degree. So I had interest in both areas. you know, beyond my creative writing interest and acting interest, so I was it was very entrenched and learning about all of that and very excited. So when I went there, um, it was right at the season when the inaugural balls, where I was invited to all that. I got to go to the inauguration. I got to meet Maya Angelou, who's one of my heroes, a poet. Um, so it was a very heady time. Um, I had very brief interactions with Joe Biden when I first worked there. Um, And then I was invited to their home, of course, for the Christmas celebration and I went and all of that. And it was during this kind of these first few months is when, you know, he would put his hands on me and underneath, you know, and I have talked about this openly, like he's put his hands on my shoulder and and then run his fingers up my neck and underneath my hair. And, you know, it was very suggestive at the time. people have to remember at this particular period of time, um, there was a, a little more latitude given to how men treated women in offices. Um, it still wasn't accepted. Sexual harassment was was being talked about at this time because this was post the Clarence Thomas, just post. It was just an emerging conversation, but there wasn't the language there is around it now. And, um, So immediately when this started happening, it didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel normal. And I called my mother and, you know, I was talking to my mother. Now my mother is, was, was, um, she, unfortunately she's passed, but she was a very, she was an artist, but very, um, committed to political activism and was an anti-war during the Vietnam war activist. And, uh, she was very, uh, into some of the politics around women's rights and the women's rights, uh, you know, the the ERA movement, the Equal Rights Amendment, trying to get equal pay um, for women because at that time the pay was much lower than men for women. And um, I told her what was going on, and she explained to me about sexual harassment and that, you know. And, and really, I, I came to know that and through her and through what I was experiencing that, no, it wasn't normal and it wasn't acceptable. And I also had a comparison to Leon Panetta's office. Leon Panetta's office was run very professionally and there was none of that nonsense. Tara, please
1: hang tight because we've got so much more that I really want to get into with you. Hold on. Okay, everybody, listen up. We are back with Tara Reed before we get into the assault and and you're mentioning that he would sort of, you know, touch you in an inappropriate way. Um, I wanted to ask you what his office, what the Biden office was like prior to the assault. like what kind of work environment was it? You're saying that he sort of pawed you. And by the way, as president, just yesterday, he was pawing a baby, sniffing the baby's head, and you know any kind of little kids around him, he's still doing this kind of thing. But what was the overall work environment like? What Did you perceive it as hostile at the time? Or was it just, well, this is the way things
3: are? It, it seemed more corporate, almost top down. And the chief of staff did come from DuPont. DuPont is a big part of why Biden was in office at that time. Um, most, like most of his staff came from DuPont. He had a lot of financial ties to them. Economically, they gave a lot to his campaign. So it had a very top down. Um, we were also the lowest paid office in the Senate. Um, there was a a very competitive feeling, um, amongst staffers. They were trying to get attention, vie for attention or whatever it was. I guess. So there was that kind of feeling. Um, there was some collegial feeling um, with some of them, but for the most part, you know, I was just, you know, a newbie kind of, and I was supervising interns and in the personal office. So in a way that kind of gave you more, more access and less access, if that makes sense. I was a lower level staff, so I didn't see him all the time, but I saw him frequently enough. And um, was around, you know, for certain things and kind of a fly on the wall in certain meetings and heard a lot of conversations, probably that I shouldn't have heard. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's just how that is at that time. Everybody was sort of all hands on deck. It was um, sometimes short staff. Like sometimes I would do work for the press secretary's office. Sometimes I would do work for a legislative aide that had to have me take notes at a hearing. I mean, like it was, it was like that kind of atmosphere. It wasn't. Um, uh, everybody was just trying to get things done. Joe Biden, he's not an intellectual. Okay. I learned that right off. Um, (laughs) That's an
1: understatement.
3: (laughs) Words that were used about him were like blowhard, even at the time. Um, he just seemed more interested in the social aspects of his job than actually what he was supposed to be doing. Um, that was my perception now, bear in mind though, I still had mixed feelings. I still had that, you know, hope he was going to be this office would be my mentor mentoring office that I would you know a springboard if you will and then I would you know have some longevity so it was a a shock to see some of the how I was perceived like I think the next kind of thing that happened was I was walked into an argument with staff and I've talked about this before but I'll tell your audience um they were arguing about me and apparently and then one of the staff members said look you don't have to do this and i said what and they said he wants you to serve drinks at an event because he likes your legs and he thinks you're pretty that's not your job you don't have to do that so they were so so people knew there was something going on i think also most of the time he had he was flanked with a, a male staffer or a couple male staffers um they didn't leave him alone too long with people sometimes so it's almost like now looking back, reflecting, I'm like, oh, okay. They were worried about his behavior sometimes. Um,
1: mm-hmm. and,
3: and rightly so why I was sent to bring him and Jim bag alone that day. I don't know. Um, I just don't know. Um, All right. Before
1: we get into this, I, I just want to stop you there because I do want to set all of this into context for the audience. Okay. And it does relate to a question that I have at the end of this for you, Tara, which is, you know, you were a, an idealistic Democrat, a leftist, a progressive, you wanted to change the country and the world, which is why you went to Washington. The Democrat Party for a long time, including to this very day, always professes to be a champion of women, okay? So yeah. they, they talk a good game at the 30,000 foot level about championing women and women's rights, but when it comes to interpersonal relations, whether it's personal or professional, they are among the worst. Now, they don't have a lock on bad behavior. Human beings are what they are, however, The context of this, too, let let me make another point. 1993, you said Bill Clinton just coming into office. He had been through a campaign where a lot of his bad behavior toward women had been exposed, but he was still elected anyway. um, I also want to remind the audience, this is sort of the post JFK Bobby Kennedy era, Lyndon Johnson era. Um, And again, Republicans were engaged in this kind of bad behavior too, but you guys will recall Ted Kennedy and Christopher Dodd, two Democrat senators, big time Democratic senators, There were all kinds of outrageous, salacious stories of them mistreating women. The old waitress sandwich story where Ted Kennedy or Chris Dodd threw a waitress on a table and the two of them sexually assaulted her. This is what was going on in Washington. And again, no party has a lock on this kind of stuff. But the Democrats who said publicly one thing about their views of women were among the worst in terms of how they actually treated the women in their lives. So that being said, before you get into the assault and what happened that day, can you say were you stunned at all by the way you were being treated by a Democrat and a Democrat office?
3: Absolutely, I was stunned. Um, I, I was Stunned enough to where I was calling my mother a lot. Um, and I was an adult, you know, and you know I was in my twenties, so you know, I mean one calls their parent, but like we, I was calling her consistently then because I was like trying to figure out how to handle this. And I wanted to talk to someone I could trust that was absolutely confidential. And, um, yeah, so there was a problem. I went to my, I was vocal though. And my mother, my mother wanted me to be more forceful, but I was, you know, not, I was wanting to protect my career. And so I was careful how I approached it, but I told my supervisor, it made me uncomfortable. And I didn't like that about the drinks and about uh, serving drinks. And I refused to serve the drinks. And she had said to me, you know, you should feel good that (laughs) he took notice of you. And, you know, basically gave me the advice to keep your head down and go along to get along. And that was the advice given to my immediate super by my immediate supervisor, I didn't take that advice and I kept pushing and I went to the other supervisor. So I kept pushing the issue that I didn't like what was going on. Then um, sort of a freeze started to happen. I started getting kind of frozen out and you know, that atmosphere at work where there's, it's very kind of gets uncomfortable or, you know, frozen out. Like mm-hmm. friends, you know, my, my friend noted that when she would call like and ask for me, there was, you know, there was a tone and everything. So, it was, it was subtle, but then, um, it culminated this particular busy day when he had forgotten his gym bag and I was told to bring it to him. And that is when, um, the sexual assault happened. Um, when I met up with him, he was alone and I handed him the bag and it happened very quickly. Um, can you walk us through what happened? Well, you know, I've gone into it on the Megan Kelly interview and I, it's in my book, but I suffice to say it was um, I was up against a wall and it was it was um, what would be considered rape. So I mean, it was um, he put his hands in my private areas and without my consent. And um, so it was it was without my consent and I was pushing him away. So it was it was a sexual assault.
1: Was there anyone around? Where were you? Were you in the Senate office building when this happened? Was there anybody in earshot or in view?
3: I worked um, in the Russell building is where his office was and I was uh, catching up with him. Um, He was going down. uh, I don't know where actually where he was going. He was heading down like towards the Capitol towards out. So he was either leaving or going, uh, to go work out. I don't know which, um, I don't know what was in the gym bag. I call it a gym bag. It was like a duffel bag or athletic bag. I don't know what was in it. I didn't open it. I just, I, I remember, um, more physical things about that day. Like, um, there was a, a sensation of smell. Like when he, like, um, when I, uh, When that happened, I remember smelling like this chemical smell and not liking the smell. And, and, and when he was near me and it was just, it was an awful experience when I was pushing him away and it happened very quickly. Um, he was at first surprised. He seemed surprised when I was pushing him away and pulling away and said, um, and what he said to me was very, uh, traumatizing. He said, um, first he said, you know, come on, man, I heard you liked me you know, and he had been before that he had been saying things like he wanted to go somewhere else he wanted to, um, and I, I don't want to use a swear word on your show. So he said something vulgar. And then he said, when I was pulling away, come on, man, I heard you liked me. And, uh, I didn't reply. I was I think frozen. Um, and that's when he suddenly changed and he Smiles when he's angry, which is very strange, but he always yes. smiles when he and he put his fingers in my face and he just said, Um, you're nothing to me. You're nothing. And I must have had a certain look on my face, but he then took me by the shoulders and just kind of shook me and said, You're fine, you're fine, you're just fine, or whatever. And he then he walked away like it was nothing. And then I heard him greet someone else down the hallway. Like it was nothing. And I was so shaking. And I, the next thing I remember was um, trying to clean up at a restroom, but then also sitting before that, just on the stairs on these marble stairs. And there was the floor to ceiling windows. And I, I remember uh, trying to get my legs to work because I, I had to just sit down right on the stairs. Like I couldn't walk. Like I was trying to get back to my office to go home. I just wanted to go home. And, um, I just wanted out. That's the only way I can describe it. I didn't think about calling the police. I didn't think about all those things. People always ask that, but all I can tell you is, when you go through something like that, you don't have rational thoughts. It, it's um, it's not like you. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But I was trying to process what had happened. I couldn't believe that it had happened, but it did. And then I was. The realization was coming over me that. Um, You know, my career was over. It
1: really is. It's an out of body experience. Yeah. Um, You know, I think most women have gone through maybe not something as violent and direct as you, um, but they have been in very uncomfortable situations uh, with men who are bigger and stronger, and there's no escape, or, and, or that they it's their boss. It is uh, a friend. It's somebody in a position of authority and/or trust. And all of a sudden, they step out of that role. They're in another role. Their entire face changes. I'll tell you, Kathleen Willey is a longtime friend of mine, and she, when she tells the story about Bill Clinton's assault of her, she said he's all hunky dory and all smiles, and then he got her in that private hallway right outside the Oval Office where no one was around, and she said his entire face changed. He became a monster and you, you, your brain is trying to play catch up processing. Who is this person and what are they doing to me? What is this real? Am I dreaming this? What is happening? And it's a completely surreal out of body experience. And I think you actually go into a state of shock for a period of time.
3: Yeah. I mean, and that explains why, like, I remember the coldness of the wall. I remember the coldness of the stairs. I remember my legs shaking so badly. I couldn't walk. Um, I remember, you know, and the, the assault itself, like when he, cause he used his hands, um, underneath my, my skirt, the assault itself was, was forceful. And, you know, at the time I was, I was physically smaller than him. I was, you know, all of maybe 130, 140 pounds, I was 5'10". So I'm pretty tall, but he's, he was taller than me and he was athletic and in his prime and he wanted what he wanted. And he actually, and, and the way he went at it afterwards, now looking back, it seems like he had done this before. Like, I, I don't know, he just seemed too smooth. The way he just walked away, like I'm concerned. Like he did it, okay, it didn't work out, walk away. It's like I was, um, there was no like, and I've tried to explain this. There was no like flirtation or sort of like this rapport between us. We didn't like go out to lunch. There was nothing like that. There was no relationship at all. I simply worked in his office and I was a low level staffer. He would smile at me or wink at me. He would put his hands on me once in a while on my shoulder or whatever. But the extent of the relationship was very limited. And so it was doubly shocking to be, Handing him a bag, and then the next thing I know, I'm up against a wall, and he's, you know, doing what he was doing. Yeah, you, anger, you know,
1: the, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. You no, know,
3: the anger was really shocking too, because at first he was conjoling, like, "Come on, man! I heard you liked me," and um, but that was just for a second, and then that, like you talked about, that mask, the mask came off. Mm-hmm. And angry, and when he walked away, it was very purposefully. He didn't look back. And I knew that I had rejected and insulted one of the most powerful men on earth right in that moment. And I, you know, it was, it was the moment I was taking in everything that had happened. First of all, I felt violated and I, I felt, I I don't know how to describe it, but I just felt um, thrown aside. I don't know. It was, it was a very.
1: Yeah, because you were considered an object. You're yes. your chum, right? Yes. It's like all of these women are just human chum for the men, whether it's Harvey Weinstein, Bill Clinton, uh, Joe Biden, doesn't matter. It, it, they look at you as an object. They have a feeling in a moment and then they act on it. And you happen to be standing there and he took full advantage of it. And I have to say, Tara, that your description of the way he left you after this assault, what he said to you, and then the way he left you, that is so reminiscent of Bill Clinton to Juanita Broderick after he raped her. Okay? Okay, very similar situation. Before he walked out of that room, Bill Clinton looked at Juanita Broderick after he gave her a bloody lip. He looked at the bloody lip and he said, you might want to put some ice on that. That kind of callousness, inhumanity, cruelty, disregard is absolutely
3: disgusting. Yeah. And I, I don't know the pathology because I'm not a psychologist of that behavior, except to say that these are very, Joe Biden, even at the time that I was assaulted in 1993, was very used to power and used to having whatever he wanted. He had been a senator since he was 28 years old. He was catered to, he was, he was wined and dined. He was, you know, the corporate uh, heads of, of different, you know, CEOs would try to get his attention and favors, right? So he, he was used to having what he wanted when he wanted. And I think sometimes they seek a thrill bigger and bigger, right? Like they need more of an endorphin rush, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it, except that um, there is a sociopathic um, component to it and um the fact that he didn't just do that but then used his power to silence me and used his position to basically take a wrecking ball to my life when i came forward even ste- speaks more directly to his character and or lack of character if you will um you know these are megalomaniacs and yes. um, they turn into monsters unfortunately
1: all right, Tara, I'm going to ask you to please stand by. First, guys, you all do not want to miss out on this because for the first time ever, our friends over at GenuCell are including both the ultra retinol and dark spot corrector in their most popular package at GenuCell.com Monica. Right now, save over 70% off GenuCell's most popular package just in time for the warm spring weather, featuring GenuCell's Ultra Retinol that contains a powerful retinol alternative, safe on your skin in the summer sun, and GenuCell's Dark Spot Corrector to reduce the appearance of dark marks and sunspots from those long summer days outside. Plus, you'll still receive GenuCell's world-class under-eye bags treatment. For those annoying under eye bags and puffiness and with its immediate effects see results in as little as 12 hours guaranteed or your money back so don't wait visit genucell.com monica to save over 70 percent off their most popular package plus every order subscription includes a luxury gift box with two springtime essentials that's two free gifts Plus, free concierge shipping for a limited time. So go to slash Monica. That's G E N U C E L, slash Monica. We're coming back with much more. Okay, we're back with Tara Reed. Tara, I have said this since the advent of Me Too, and I do want to get into all of that with you as well, um, because you played a vital role in Time's Up and, and dis- the disbanding of that organization. And I want to get your sense of where we are in all of this. But, you know, I keep trying to tell, especially men who don't seem to quite understand that this whole dynamic, is that, you know, for an adult woman um, you know, we have our share of men making passes that uh, clearly this is yeah. not what happened to you. What happened to you was a, a straight up sexual assault, no, but yeah. it, it, you like know, if you t-
3: you're making a very good point. Men and women, like, uh, and this is the tricky thing with sexual harassment and sexual assault. Men get very defensive, you know, obviously, because mostly these happen between men and women, it's mostly men perpetrating, um, statistically, but it happens both ways, right. But, but what I was going to say is that, you know, this is, um, it's natural to meet people at work, to have attractions, to have like, you know, maybe a miscommunication or an awkward moment where you think someone likes you, but they don't, those are all normal things. This was different. This wasn't about sex. This was about power. This was about power. Correct. And And that's what sexual
1: harassment is anyway. It's not about sex. It's about power and control.
3: Mm -hmm. Exactly. He was, he he was somehow it gave him a thrill to dominate me in that way in the ultimate way and humiliate me yeah and
1: and um, and treat you like garbage Mm -hmm. yeah um well you know what the the point the the point i i started to make um tara about this is and the point that i try to tell men about this is you know as an adult woman you get plenty of passes and you know how to handle you know, the, the hand on the butt or the, you know, the flirtation thing or, you know, so a guy tries to kiss you. You know how to handle that. I'm not excusing it, but I'm saying you know how to handle it. Sexual assault's a different category. Yeah. But what we don't know how to handle and what we don't have tools for is exactly what you just said was the consequence, which is you alienated a very powerful person. And there were consequences for your career. It's yeah. not about you know that the hands on the butt. Um, it's about the fallout from the fact that you tried to defend yourself, and now your career has been hit hard because you wouldn't play their sick game. That's really the, the essence of what we're talking about here.
3: Absolutely, well put. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's why I, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because if you flash forward to 2019, when I came forward publicly, because I came forward privately to friends and family, I, t- I've said publicly that I, I've, you know, I, at the time I told my mother, my brother, I had a close friend that I told later other people, there's other content, contemporaneous witnesses that will attest to me talking about what happened, but, um, I didn't go to the media and I I just, I mean, that was too frightening, but what really prompted me was in 2019, Lucy Flores, that young politician was just getting eviscerated in the press. She came forward and she didn't even, it wasn't even, she was just saying, hey, he's like a grandpa, but it's uncomfortable, he's kissing my head, it's creepy, right? Basically he, he crossed her boundary, he kissed her and she didn't wanna be kissed in public on tape Mm -hmm. like everyone saw it and even though she just expressed that like that boundary she was like just you don't hear of her anymore her career's gone right so anyway I saw her getting beat up with the other women who had come forward about this um in the press and you know my daughter was grown at the time and I said to her okay I I really need to say something and um A friend of mine had called and said, oh, I think on CNN, they said, no staffer is, you know, no employee of Joe Biden has come forward and said, there's any problems. And I was like, and she said, you know, Tara, and I'm like, I know, I know. And so I talked to my daughter. My daughter said, well, mom, he's too powerful. And then that's what clinched it. I was like, oh no, this can't go to another generation. We can't generationally keep teaching women that they have to shut up and take it, right? Right get along yes. too long yeah it had to stop and i i knew it and i knew it was going to be hard i did not know it would be this hard <laughs> i did not i was not prepared for the political machine that came at me i should have been but i really wasn't no one can prepare you for that um but i did step step into the into the lions you know into the arena if you will and um and the lions came for me for sure Um, Well,
1: that that line of attack on you, um, you know, and this this. This is only applied to women who accuse Democrat men of sexual abuse, okay? It's never the other way around, but the attack line on you is that you misrepresented your background, your story had um, inconsistencies over time, you didn't come forward at the time, no police report, and that for years you never made mention of this assault. What do you say to that?
3: Well, to each one of those things, I mean, that's all they had really was the rape myths, Like, you know, a lot of people don't come forward about a sexual assault to police. And at the time, right, like, who is the police? It's the Capitol police. I thought Mm -hmm. I I could go to the Metro at the time, but the Capitol police are who I saw and they protected the senators and congressmen. So when my mother was on the phone that day, it happened, like, go to the police. I did everything that a victim of rape, you know, you're told not to do, but I did everything wrong. Right. I went home and showered because I, again, that smell, that smell stayed with me. It still does. Um, It brings back the memory of the actual assault. Uh, It's like a chemical smell or dry cleaning smell. But anyway, I was in the shower scrubbing myself and like I threw out all my clothes and even the shoes I wore that day. I threw them in a garbage bag and threw them away. Um, So all I can tell you is psychologically when you go through, through something like that, you just want it away from you. I just wanted it away. Like, I didn't want it to be real. I wanted it to not have happened.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and you want to, like, get out of your own skin.
3: Exactly. That's exactly how it felt. So what I would say to that is um, there has been no inconsistency. And, and people have said that, um, that know me, that know about what happened. Um, it's always been the same details about the sexual assault all of the long, all along. However, in 2019, when I came forward, I came forward with a sexual harassment, but I shut down because the first reporter I dealt with was male. And he asked this question, and this is what shut me down. He said, um, when I was talking about the touching, the sexual harassment, and I was building up to talking about it for the first time in public about what he did to me. And he said, he said to me, well, it wasn't sexual, was it? And I just, I lost my nerve. Like I, I just like mm. completely shut me down. So then I reached back out to, cause a New York times reporter had talked with me. I reached back out to her and I said, there's more to this and I want to tell about it. And to her credit, Lisa Lair did in public say that I tried to reach out to her and, and tried to tell her, but it was a very hard story to tell, as you know, I mean, it's not something pleasant to talk about. And particularly to media because they're, they're brutal and they're definitely not trained um, to talk to people who've been through trauma. Right. They're just there to get the story um, Mm -hmm. or to kill the story Mm -hmm. and that's their agenda. So, yeah, so it never changed. Um, So, and that, and that's kind of like an old thing that, that people say, you know, like that Um, I never lied about my educational credentials. I was threatened with prison, actually. A bunch of trolls online called the Monterey DA um, because I was an expert witness for domestic violence cases. And so there was, you know, me giving expert testimony and they did an email campaign. It was very coordinated. Um, It was a bunch of Democrats. I don't know if they were coordinated part of a a democratic pack or just, you know, whatever, but they were a bunch of people online trolls saying, lock her up and, She committed perjury in Monterey and all of of this other stuff. Well, the DA ended up, of course, never charging me. I've never, I didn't lie under oath and I didn't do anything wrong. But all of this was to try to discredit me after I came forward. I was called a Russian agent by Joe Biden's campaign. Oh, that's when you know they you've inflated, really made it. I was a Russian asset. They say,
1: <laughs> that's when you know you've really made it, Tara, when you've been <laughs> called a, a, a Putin stooge.
3: <laughs> right. And, and you know, I, I am anti-war and I was and I did in an interview in 2019, 2020, I, I had said, if he is elected, he will bring us to a war with Russia. And I got a lot of flack for that. And look at where we are. Mm-hmm. So, um Because I knew and from what I had heard back then and about him, his propensity with foreign relations and who has who's surrounding him. But anyway, um, the uh, geopolitics aside, I've been very um, just consistent about just telling what happened to me. Um, And like I said, I I went into great detail in the Megan Kelly interview, and I went into detail in my book and um, you know, and they just don't want to look at it. It's an inconvenient truth.
1: Yes. Um, And, and the hypocrisy and the hierarchy of all of this is really outrageous and disgusting. Tara, we've got to hit one more break. Please stand by. We've got so much more. This is a fascinating conversation. Sit tight. We are back with Tara Reed. Can we talk a little bit about the Me Too movement? Because when you came forward in 2019 and then 2020, this is clearly a couple of years into the Me Too movement. Did you, first of all, what did you think of Me Too when it first exploded on the scene in 2017 with all the accusations against Harvey Weinstein and then so many other powerful men? And then did you feel did you feel safer to come forward in 2019 and 2020 because you felt that there was some sort of solidarity around the Me Too movement?
3: Exactly that. Yes. Well, let's start back with the Harvey Weinstein case. Um, Actually, Rose McGowan, at great personal sacrifice, um, really stuck up for me and, and stood forward on social media but also behind the scenes she she tracked me down and found me after i came forward and advised me a bit about what i was going to experience and i just was you know really not knowing what what was happening like the the way I was just getting pounced on was so negatively was, was hard Um, and being, you know, and she had been through that for a decade because of Weinstein. So Rose McGowan was one of the first to come forward about Weinstein. Um, And she really, she has been um, a real force of nature and, and kind to me and helpful. And, um, you know, at the expense of her own career, because New York Times then wouldn't review her music album that came out and other things because she spoke publicly about me and I and I and I had some guilt around all of that to be honest with you several prominent people Rich McHugh who worked um with Ronan Farrow did my several bits of my story he and he and Ronan worked together on a Harvey Weinstein story and he um did several pieces on me professionally I know that it impacted him um Rich, it impacted um, Katie Helper. It impacted them in, in not positive ways, and um, you know, and I, I just, I, I, feel so badly that my story prompted the Democrats to just weaponize against all these um, people surrounding me or trying to to raise up the story. But they were doing everything they could to silence it, like they did the Hunter Biden. I mean, even trying to take down the New York Post with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Right? I mean, that's how corrupt and determined they were to silence any narrative that was anti-Biden or showed Biden in his real form and what he's really like. Um, Yeah, because
1: their, their agenda is so much bigger Yeah, you know, it's, it's, and what, what in the context of me too, I mean, you probably did feel safer and, and thought that people would close ranks around you. And you got Rose McGowan, who's been a total heroine, uh, through all of this, but everybody else threw you to the wolves because we were headed into a presidential election. They had to defeat Trump. They had to get Joe Biden elected. So what, whatever happened to believe all women, Tara?
3: exactly me too became a hashtag and that's it and and it's sad because it basically got hijacked by the democrats they mm-hmm. they took the movement and they used it for identity politics they used it for to get votes to get money and then discarded it and you're absolutely right about the me too i thought i had that protection around me there was utter silence online if anything those people went after me and called me a liar and, and trolled me. It was, it was horrendous. And then without even knowing my story, without knowing anything about me, they just piled on because it was to protect Joe Biden. And that, you know, because of that, that brings me to Time's Up. The Me Too movement, Time's Up emerged from that, right? This was this nonprofit that was supposed to, and it had Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. This was founded by some of Obama's former staff. So you had um, Tina Chen, Hillary Rosen, and Anita Dunn. Anita Dunn runs a PR firm called SKDSKD, SKD, whatever. And she, that PR firm would worked in tandem with the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund and would help people like myself, right? They were coming forward about powerful people. They were supposed to help and, and, you know, also provide legal services to victims that were encountering powerful. You know, people. Well, flash forward to, and we all know what happened. Times Up is now dismantled for corruption. They were a catch and kill for Democrats, for powerful Democrats. So, and I'll give the for instance. I went to Times Up because I needed, I I wanted a protected way to come forward. I wanted that help, and I went to them not knowing that Anita Dunn, the founder, and who worked there, was already working for Joe Biden's campaign. And Incredible. Didn't, they didn't tell me. They did not tell me. So I went through their whole vetting process, right. Giving them my evidence, talking about to them back and forth. They accepted my case. They accepted it. And then they said they would get me a lawyer. Well, all the lawyers said, no, of course. In fact, one said I'm voting for Joe Biden and hung up on me. And these mm. were the that they gave me. Right. Then, um, Then they officially, then in a meeting, they said, I'm sorry, we can't take your case because it's too political. We don't want to be associated with a political, with, you know, Joe Biden. And I was like, wait a second, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And they rejected my case that night. Tina Chen, who had been privy to that call, went to a Biden fundraiser. Oh, So that same night, so this of course became, Ryan Grimm did extensive reporting on Time's Up, so did Law and Crime. Law and Crime revealed that the FEC reports show Joe Biden gave $800,000 during the period of time I was talking to Time's Up. Beyond that, I think a total of 2.2 million, million, excuse me, not billion, 2.2 million went to Anita Dunn's firm for PR. They were a catch and kill. They were silencing my story. Then Cuomo burst, you know, that story burst on the scene. The staffers came forward. Text messages were caught by the attorney general when they did the criminal case between staff at Cuomo, upper level staff, and um, Times Up, the upper level of Times Up, saying, look what happened um, with Tara Reed's case with Joe Biden. We can now victim shame on the record.
1: So it tells you that none of these movements, Me Too, Time's Up, had anything to do with championing women's rights, defending women, maybe Democrat women, um, but it, certainly yeah. they were all interested in protecting powerful Democrats and that's it. And I get to my original point, they threw Harvey to the wolves because he was such an egregious, uh, egregious case that they could not defend him, but they wanted to make him an example. And there were other men that went down in this movement as well, many of them. Um, but it was all about, okay, now the movement's done. We've purged the system of all the bad guys. Oh, look, Joe Biden. <laughs> and they redirected into a protection racket. Am I right?
3: Absolutely. And so, you know, it's really ironic for me to see things like, oh, Trump paid hush money to a consensual, you know, sexual encounter. Right. But I was sexually assaulted on Capitol grounds. I was in I was at work and it was my boss and they won't even investigate it. No, of course not. What is your view of the Trump Stormy Daniels case? Well, that's politicized. I mean, I, I think it's 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 horrendously politicized. And, you know, if they were gonna, I think um, there was an article written about different things they could go after Trump with, but they are so, the the Democratic party, and let's bring it back to the Democrats, right? This, the the Me Too movement was a hypocritical, you know, tool for them to hold themselves a moral superiority, right? And they like that. And then also weaponize a movement to protect their own, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: and, and gain money in votes. Um, and they do that with other identity movements too. So with, with Trump, it's, they're just, it, it's a tactic. They're doing everything switch and bait because what's come out is a lot of this, um, you know, the, the money that was exchanged regarding China, the money laundering that's happening in Ukraine. Well, now they're getting receipts. They're getting banknotes, They're getting proof of this corruption. So what do you do? Well, I mean, I was, I worked for Democrats. I know what they do. They do switch and bait, look over here. So you don't see what's happening over here. This is classic. They need to distract and they need to do it hard. So, you know, of course they went after Trump, they Trump's their whipping post at this point. They, and they, and they
1: certainly, they don't care
3: who they destroy in the process. No, I mean, look at all the people in January. And I mean, I, like I said, I'm an independent and I am appalled at seeing the Republicans being gone after, being called terrorists, given prison Mm -hmm. sentences beyond, and you know, if you have any background in law um, at all, you know, the sentencing guidelines, they're going beyond the sentencing guidelines and getting away with it. And what Marjorie Taylor Greene talked about the two-tiered justice system, she's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, it's corrupt. Like Even if they think they're on the right side of the law, it doesn't matter. You can't do that. You can't, you can't weaponize whole systems to benefit your own power. And that's what we're seeing with the Biden administration. They're doing it with Ukraine, this proxy war they're fighting against Russia using Ukraine. They're doing it with domestically with the DOJ and the FBI silencing speech. You know, Matt Taibbi is a hero for what he's doing, bringing forward all this information and he's getting beat up in the process, but he's really bringing forth the truth to people about mass surveillance, censoring, suppression and how it's it's beyond just the Biden administration, they're also using think tanks, taxpayer money to actually suppress our speech. One of the ways one of the things about my case is I was one of those stories that was suppressed. Hunter Biden's laptop that had the evidence of the financial misdoings. It wasn't just about naked pictures of Hunter, who cares? That wasn't the issue. The issue is the influence peddling and the proof of the corruption. And they, they don't want that. So they, you know, the Democrats are very good at PR and that's it. It's like, we've kind of come to this place in the United States where it's like the best PR machine wins. And that's not okay.
1: Yeah, and when you pair that with uh, basically a Marxist revolution, which is what we're seeing, you know, you, you when you went to Capitol Hill, Democratic Party was a different party. Uh, the revolution was still going, but it was sort of bubbling under the surface. But now it's right out in the open, and so that's why the, their their eyes are on a much bigger prize, which is the fundamental transformation of the nation, and they don't care how many dead bodies. They've got to, you know, create and walk over and destroy uh, like yours in order to achieve that. Um, Before we let you go, Tara, let's talk about today, because the other day you tweeted, quote, so I am not a former porn star, nor did I receive hush money. I was a Senate staffer for Joe Biden when he sexually assaulted me in 1993. To date, no investigation, only media attacks and trolls aimed at me. I ask again to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. When will Joe Biden be investigated? Thanks. Well, apparently that tweet caught Congresswoman Greene's attention because she and Congressman Gates have invited you to testify before Congress. What can you tell us about that, and what what do you hope will come out of that?
3: You know that was such. <laughs> I can't tell you how wonderful that was to be acknowledged because I had approached formerly members of Congress and receive silence, you know, and I'm a former staffer. So it's it's really strange that there was just utter silence, but they they did respond and they are setting up um, a way. I know that in the press, I know that um, Democrats have spoken out, they're trying to block me being able to testify. Um, so I know that it's gonna be hard to even get to that table to testify, um, but it will happen, um, you know, and, and we're going through the process of that, And I am not going with a lawyer or PR team. I'm just going as myself and telling what happened. And that's all I can do and tell the truth. And um, what I hope is that it will give the impetus for a mechanism for other people who have been silent to come forward about Joe Biden. And I think it will. There are other people who have been silent and afraid to come forward. And I think this will provide that safety for them to do so. I think I look forward to the opportunity to going under oath and telling what happened to me and exposing not only the assault, but the abuse of power and the way he used his money and power to try to silence me.
1: Yes. so I Well, hope- I look forward to that testimony. Tara, I really do. And I think the country does, too. You've been such a heroine in never giving up and never giving in, despite, you know, the full weight of the propaganda press and the Biden administration and God knows who else coming at you, um, which I know must have been very disappointing to you. But you've just stood, stood strong throughout all of this. And I, you know, I had hoped when you came forward, as we saw with other examples during the Me Too movement, that when one woman had the strength and courage to come forward, others did as well, who were victims of these men. And yet nobody has with Joe Biden. And I cannot believe that you were the only victim at his hands.
3: Well, no, there were seven other women that came forward before me, and then the women that I, I mean, I know of actually two that have not come forward that are afraid to, but there are probably more. And I think I think it's because I have the opposite effect with, because of the way they attacked me in the media, that playbook they use, like the Weinstein playbook, and just went after me. People were afraid of having their lives destroyed, and they're afraid of Biden. I mean, remember what Biden said when his mic off just a couple months ago. He said, nobody Fs with a Biden. Right. That was like a mafia statement. This is what you're dealing with. It's not even like a democracy. It's it's like the you're dealing with a mafia in a way in this the Democratic Party. I, I hope that this my case is small compared to all the other corruption, but I hope um, I'm able to tell what happened to me. So it makes it easier for the people behind me. And maybe it makes it easier for the other cases uh, to come forward and be shined, you know, have some light shined on it. And, and cause that's what we need as Americans. We need truth because Joe Biden, you know, took a wrecking ball to my life. And now I'm watching him take a wrecking ball to the nation. And it's, it's, it's so sad. So I, I hope that my testimony of what I experienced will help and not harm.
1: We look forward to that so much. And Tara, your story is so important and it should be heard which is why I wanted to have you here today. And I just want to thank you so much again for bravely standing up in the face of all kinds of fire um, over so many years and you continue to do that. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Go get them on Capitol Hill. We'll all be watching and we are cheering you on, Tara Reed.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Of course. Tara Reid, a true heroine, not just of the Me Too movement, but for truth. And we need more like her. Go get her new book. It's called Left Out When the Truth Doesn't Fit In. It's a real truth telling volume. You won't be able to put it down. And if you care about the future of the country, go get it. What an explosive conversation with her. Am I right, guys? I mean, this is really, really important stuff. And I'm so glad that you were here for this conversation. Make sure you tell everybody you know about today's show, but also about the Monica Crowley podcast. So nobody you know misses a second of this show. It's too important. Also, guys, thanks for checking out our great sponsors. We all really appreciate that. All right, big week of shows coming up. In the meantime, have a fantastic weekend and I will see you right back here.